0: Welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. I want to uh, share with you from the the, the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. Um, This is the history of the church. I'm I'm going to put some details in for those who are new Christians, those who are Christians a while but maybe haven't, you, you maybe discovered much of their Bible yet. It's this, this most phenomenal book. The Book of Acts comes after the the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, john and then you have the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, written by Luke, and uh, Luke gives a very comprehensive and detailed um, account of how the Church began to mightily expand and grow after the resurrection of Christ, after he ascended from the from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. The, the apostles and 120 in total went into an upper room waiting as Christ had promised them for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ten days after Jesus went up into heaven, the Holy Spirit falls in Pentecost in an upper chamber in Jerusalem and they went out from that place and from that moment on, the church went through exponential growth. And one of the great characters that became a Christian at this time was the man... A man called Paul. He was not known as Paul then, he was known as Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was actually, uh, you could say, a rising star within Judaism. He was a very intellectual, very devout man. He was a Pharisee. He had trained under Gamiel in Jerusalem, he was, um, who was a very noted rabbi and teacher of his time. He was gifted in philosophy, Paul was, and he was seen among his peers as a, a real rising star and a zealot Jew. And so when Christianity came about, when Christ, when the church started to expand and grow, he took it very offensively because it was basically saying that God was finished with Judaism. God was finished with the law. God was finished with everything that he held dear and that everything was fulfilled in Christ. And that was the message of the gospel. No more do we need to be killing cattle and sheep to forgive us our sins or to cover our sins. Jesus' death covered all that. And so when he he saw the expands, the expanding gospel when he saw the church going into rapid growth he got very angry he was a religious zealot and you know religious people unfortunately no matter what the religious background when you start to scratch at certain sacred issues, the difference between religious people and people who are in a real relationship with God is that, you you know, the the actions are always different. We don't try to force our beliefs down another person's throat by sword or by torture or by coercion. There is no moral value to that. In fact, the Bible outlays that. But religious people, when they're In some way, um, you know, when they're threatened, violence comes out of them. the apostle Paul was one of those. He became a zealot persecutor of the Christian church. His name became infamous among Christians. People shuddered at the name of Saul because Saul went with legal documentation from the Sanhedrin, uh, from the ruling council in Jerusalem, to be able to persecute the Christian church. And we know his story on the way to Damascus to, to persecute the Christian church there he was met with an encounter with God that changed everything. And that's the great message of the gospel. An encounter with God always changes everything. And so we know that this man, he went through a metamorphosis of change um, and God gave him incredible revelation. And so Paul really grew, you could say, to become the shining light of the New Testament in the sense of that he carried an understanding and revelation of what the new covenant was about. Uh, He is the one that championed the justification by faith. He was the man that went out and was the principal apostle to the Gentile world. Even though he was a Jew of Jews, God called him to the Gentile world and he preached all over Asia Minor. He established churches everywhere he went, friends. And he actually wrote near over two thirds of the New Testament. You know, um, he was. Um, he, he was phenomenal. He was a powerhouse. He was a man that was absolute. Driven is not the right word. He was passionate because an encounter with God set a fire in him that he just knew that Jesus Christ was Lord and he preached Christ everywhere he went. And and as a result of that, there was an X on his back. You know, if those who are watching tonight, you, you, you might be wavering at the moment. Maybe you're looking into Christianity and Jesus. I'm going to tell you the small print. You become a Christian. You give your life to Christ, it will not be an easy life, but it is the right life. It wasn't easy for Paul. It wasn't easy for any the New Testament believers at that time, and particularly Paul. Paul talks in, in the book of Corinthians. He wrote two letters to the church that he had started in Corinth. He wrote about how he would, had received 40 minus one lash, 39 lashes from the Jews. That he, spe- he was shipwrecked twice or three times, I think he said. He spent a day and night in the sea. He was hounded by men who had made a pact that they would murder him because he'd left Judaism and became a Christian and defended Christianity. And all over his life, he was chased from city to city. But he, wherever he went, he established works for God. And God used this man mightily. He was a phenomenal uh, revelation on the Word of God. But um, we are going to read from a portion of scripture, Acts 27, where it's coming towards the end of the book of Acts. I'm only giving you this bit of background on Paul because unfortunately a lot of younger Christians, they don't know a lot of the detail and it's very important for you to, to, if, you want to, if you want to be able to hold in the storms around you, you need to put your feet into the Word of God, you need to learn your pedigree, you need to learn where you come from, what the, what the church is about, you know, how the, the explosion of growth happened through miracles and signs and wonders, and how that nearly every single person that stood for Christ, every one of those um, early apostles all left all fell foul to martyrdom they all went to their grave um you know through violence but they gladly accepted it because they knew they had something far more powerful and more cherishing in their relationship with god and so this acts 27 is coming towards the end of this man's ministry you could say it's nearly coming into the final chapters of his life as i said he spent for years uh preaching the gospel averting you know mobs that tried to kill him and attack him and eventually he returns to jerusalem after his third missionary journey now he did three major journeys as i said which he which he planted churches then went back and put elders and leaders in place and then then he discipled him through letters and epistles and uh, he was phenomenal and because of paul we stand in a massive legacy of truth and the great thing about truth when you know the truth that the truth shall make you free but now here in Acts 27, I haven't got all night, but I want to just give you a little bit of the background. I think it will help, be helpful to you. Paul goes back to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, there's uproar again. People know that Paul is the main, the main man here because everybody in Judaism knows him, and yet he became a Christian. He left all that was common to his family background, his heritage and all this. And so to keep peace you know, um, with the Jews on some level, um, You know, they. they, Sorry, let me let me jump forward. Effectively, what happened in Jerusalem is that the Jews trumped up charges of blasphemy and sedition against them. They basically accused the Apostle Paul of bringing a Gentile into the court of the Jews. Now, if you don't know, the temple the temple of old had a court area that was only for Jewish men, and then you had the court of the Gentiles and the court of the, the women and children. And so he was accused of bringing a Gentile into what was in Judaism very sacred um, and so this trumped up charge of blasphemy and sedition was only to arouse the the, the, uh, the, the religious fever of these extremists and so they're shouting for blood and you get the accounts in the previous couple of chapters 25 26 is main chapters of Acts you begin to read those accounts where they literally ca- 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 latch on to Paul, they're ready to beat him to death, they're starting to beat him already and only that the Roman centurions and it's the Romans that control, it's under the Roman control, Roman domination, only that they stepped in at that time he would have been beaten to death, so he's ta- he's taken to, he's taken into custody by, by the um, by the Romans at the time. And the Romans are a little bit nervous holding him in Jerusalem because there was such uproar against Paul. They decided to transfer him to Caesarea, which is about an hour now an and 20 minutes away. It's coastal area. Caesarea was, you could say, the capital of Roman rule for the Jewish world. Even though Jerusalem was the capital city of, uh, of Israel, Caesarea became this more of an administrational town. It's where the, the main body of troops were it's where the main center of commerce was done. And so they had to move Paul to Caesarea and there keep a better eye on him uh, because the apostle Paul said, nobody has a right to flog me. I'm a Roman citizen. That's an amazing thing. We're going to that another time. So he's, he's, brought, he's brought there to Caesarea. And, um, and so he's brought before uh, uh, Festus. Festus was the uh, the governor for the Romans. He governed, He was a Roman governor of the region and he's brought before Festus um, to be tried uh, because the Jews are still crying out blue murder against this man. And uh, so, you know, he's there. Uh, Festus doesn't last too long there. He's pulled back to Rome and Felix takes over, another new governor. So there's a transition of time. Paul is still in prison. He's awaiting hearing uh, whether he's been blasphemous or seditious. On both accounts, it would be death if he was proven, proven to be true against him. And so Felix comes in, the new, uh, the new successor. He's not too sure what to do with him because he is a Roman citizen. Uh, uh, you know. And on the Roman citizens, the highest status you could have in the world back then was to be a Roman citizen. You had the protection of the Roman army and the whole Roman judicial, Roman judicial system behind you. And not anybody, including the Jews, had any right to flog you or beat you but they were terrified of, it, of an uprising in Jerusalem. They were terrified of the Romans. They didn't want to be bringing armies in, costing them money, costing them lives. And so they're trying to keep the Jews happy, try to keep Paul happy, and he doesn't know what to do. And so King Agrippa comes on the scene as well. And king Agrippa now was the, the, the king of Israel at that time, and Agrippa comes in, and, and Paul, you can read his story in Acts 26, Paul shares his testimony. He shares what how he was a Jew, how he, how he come to Christ and had a great impact upon Agrippa. and King Agrippa, in, in the famous words, says to Paul, he says, you nearly convinced me to be a Christian. But then you know, in the course of that trial, Paul makes his appeal. He says, I want to make my appeal against to Caesar. I want to be tried by caesar i want to be tried in rome because i'm a roman citizen and so when a roman citizen uh, required that in law they had to facilitate it they they had no right to judge him there they couldn't judge him according to jewish laws or rules they had to extradite him back to rome and this is where the story is this is coming towards the last leg you can see of paul's life this man that lived an epic life for god and so this is your background and uh, they're leaving now i'm going to read acts chapter 27 Uh, From verse 10, now they have already left Caesarea by boat. They've pulled into a place called Crete because the weather was pretty choppy on the way. These are all the previous verses. They end up in a place called Fair Havens. I know it well. I've been to Fair Havens in Crete where Paul was. There's a little church there that marks his landing in Crete and now they're ready to set sail from fair havens to go on to Rome but Paul has a word from God that if they do this they're going to incur severe loss and he begins to speak to the men in the ship the leaders of the ship he says men first 10 acts 27 men he said I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on shipwreck loss of cargo and danger to our lives as well but the officer in charge of the prisoners listened more to his ship's captain and the owners than to Paul. And since Fair Havens was an exposed harbour, a poor place to spend the winter, most of the crew wanted to go on to Phoenix, further up the coast of Crete, and spend the winter there. Uh, Phoenix was a good harbour with only a southwest and northwest exposure. Verse 13. When the light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it, so they pulled up anchor, sailed close to the shore of Crete, but the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength called a northeaster burst across the island and blew us up and out, of the, out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island called Koda where, with great difficulty, we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. The sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across the sandbars of Citrus off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, As gale-force winds continued to battle the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged on for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars, until at last all hope was gone. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of of the God whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, and he said, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be, just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the 14th night, this 14 nights, I want you to remember the 14 nights fighting a storm. Fourteen 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found the water to be 120 feet deep, but a little further they measured and again found it only 90 feet deep at this rate they were afraid that they would soon be driven against rocks or along the shore so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight then the sailors tried to abandon the ship they lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship but paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard so the soldiers cut the ropes and the lifeboat was left to drift away just as Day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried and you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your head will perish. Then he took some bread, listen to this friends, gave thanks to God before all of them and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. Now listen to this. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get ashore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and, let the sea, let, let them, let, and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed towards shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship struck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and it began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore or escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and to make it for land. The others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship so everyone escaped safely to the shore. It's a long reading, but it would make a great movie. And so we have, we have this, this man of God, this powerful man of God, He knows he's to be in Rome. He's made his appeal to to go to Caesar. God's told him you're going to go to Rome. He's going to go to Rome and he's going to write from Rome what we call the prison epistles. God's going to give him more revelation. He's going to give him words of comfort that will be very much uh, used by Christians of every single age. And yet, even though people are on their journeys, everyone is on a journey, everybody's on some sort of uh, uh, crusade today. This man is a man that hears God and he knows before the journey starts that they shouldn't embark now. It's, It's going to end up in disaster. But, you know, friends, they don't listen to the word of God today. People don't listen to God. What a tragedy. So many Christians. So many of us, we we start out our journeys every day. We don't even pray. We don't even ask God's will in it. We're not even open to the will of God. We don't want God's opinion. We want things to go our way. We want it to go according to our plan. That's why Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we should pray. What is your will, God? Let it be done in my life today. But they they part, they go, they leave, half-cocked on their own logic that they're going to make it to, um, to Rome and they end up in this awful calamity. Paul knows the voice of God. I perceive this journey will end with absolute disaster. Every voyage embarked on by Christians or non-Christians without discerning the mind of God will end in a disaster, friends. It will always end in disaster. Everything seems fine at the beginning. It says when they set out they had a nice wind behind them and they thought this is pretty good. But you reap what you sow. Don't proceed in life without the will of God. Don't proceed in life without the mind of God. Uh, You know, and and don't go through this life thinking that you can make it through in the best of a natural mind. The best of a natural mind is still only a natural mind. We need the mind of God. And now more than ever in the time that we're living, we need to hear from God. We need to know the voice of God. We need to know the presence of God. We need to know his mind, his thinking, his plan. Because his ways are not our ways. And so they go on their journey and very quickly, they run into trouble. It says, uh, Not long after, a tempestuous head wind came around. Uh, you know, that's a, a, a tempestuous means something with a temper. <laughs> something is very turbulent, this wind with a temper in it, you could say. And uh, so it begins to throw great strain upon the ship. The ship comes under strain. And the sailors are doing what they can just to hold the ship together. They're putting ropes under the ship. So you can imagine they're passing ropes under the ship, tying up, up both sides to keep the, even the ship together. This is how awful this storm was. They start to lighten the ship in verse eight. They started showing trying to tackle overboard. You know, and, uh, and, and 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 so all this to save their lives. And yet, you know, that's what many people have done today in the storms that we're in. You would try to lighten the ship in the church. Let's, um, let's shorten the services, Pastor. Let's shorten the preaching. Let's not preach about sin. It's amazing, friends, that when the storms happen, the very first thing that leaves the church is the silly programs. We throw them overboard because they're no good anyhow. They can't save you. And so this ship is driven for 14 days. These sailors are in a terrible condition. These 14 days, they think they're going to die. But Paul, in the middle of the storm, hears a word from God. And I want to tell you today, friends, whatever storm you find yourself in today, God has a word for you. And Paul simply said it to the, the captain of the ship, to the officer in charge. He said, now listen to me. God has spoken to me. We're all going to make it. <laughs> We're all going to get to the other side. God has given me a word. And so the key is you must stay with the ship. And this was the issue. Someone board the ship. It's like every man for themselves. Yeah, you know, And that's the temptation, isn't it? The temptation is to jump ship. The storms are here. The temptation is to to leave faith. The temptation is to leave prayer. The temptation is to leave the presence of God. And jump ship and try try to make it your own way, friends. You'll never make it if you jump ship. You have to stay with the word of God. You have to stay because God, who brought you into the storm, is going to bring you out of the storm. You and I, friends, have the hand of God upon us. No matter what the enemy throws against us, Paul knew that he was going to Rome. Paul knew that God's hand was on him. And I want you to know today, whatever storm you're in today, you're not going to fix it, friends, by lightening your life. You're not going to fix it by putting ropes around yourself. You're not going to fix it by by jettisoning the things of God out of your life. You're going to cleave more than ever to the word of God. And Paul, after 14 days, he begins to intercede for the men and women around him. You know, thank God for men who give no thought for their own life. Thank God for men and women that would begin to look at the needs of others rather than their own need, friends. And he begins to seek God for a word and begins to pray. And i love the apostle paul he's down in the belly of the ship he's agonizing before god and there he calls the whole assembly of 276 men together he said god has given me a word for you and it's amazing friends that you know when we find ourselves in storms like we are now we're in terrible we're, this world is in a terrible storm christians are in the storm with them friends but it's not time for you and me to jump the ship it's a time to, for us to stay on the ship because i love when it says in 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 the verse later on here it says in verse 39 when morning had dawned, it said they did not recognize the land. And this is what I want to kind of just, on top of a little teach of Paul and his missionary journeys, and the top, on top of where he's going and why he's going and how it ends, friends. You know, I, I, th- this verse just jumped out at me because in the midst of the storm as a Christian, there's times you're not going to recognize your salvation. You're not going to see it, but it doesn't mean it's not there. You know, I, you know, it said when dawn had come, they didn't recognize the land. Oh, friends, what a tragedy when Christ came into this world. The Bible says they received him not, but for as many that did receive him, uh, you know, he made them and gave them the power to become children of God and how they didn't recognise his anointing and didn't recognise him as the saviour of the world. And so I would urge you, Christian, today, to recognize that God's hands on you in the midst of the storm, recognize that you may not understand where you're going, you might not like what you're in, but God will bring you through, that there will be no loss of life, friends, no matter what you think. The Bible says, you know, if we lose our life, we will gain it, and if we try to save our life, we will lose it, but we stay with the Word of God. We stay on the ship of the Gospel. We stay committed to the promises of God. We stay concerned for the lives of other people. Paul interceded for those men and women around him. broke bread. He nourished them. And that's our job. That's why God has allowed you and me at this time in this world with the shutting down that's in a storm of storms, a storm like it has never been in before. The entire world is covered in darkness, friends. And yet God has allowed us on the ship. Hallelujah. And you know what? I want to say to you, Christian, will you recognize the land? Will you recognize that God is bringing salvation? Not the way you think he should be doing it. Not the way I think he should be doing it. Well, it should be filling up the churches with people. He's doing it a different way, friends. I want to tell you, he's bringing people to recognize his authority, to recognize his salvation, and for you and I to recognize the land, for you and I to be like Paul, to understand that God is doing something through this storm. That That is where victory comes in your life that's where the power of god becomes real friends that's where faith hits its apex that even when the waves and the billows and the darkness and i can't see the the the, the sun i can't see the sky it's all dark over my head when i feeling nauseous and nausea and tossed about on the sea to know that i'm in the will of god To know that God is going to preserve me. To know that God has kept me there for the sake of 276 other people. That's why Paul was there, friends. For those other precious lives that would have perished without knowing who God was. He preached the gospel. The next chapter you begin to see. He's preaching the gospel to those men and those women. He's beginning to see God move in the island of Malta where they were washed up on. I want to tell you, friends, that's what God wants to do with us. Recognize the land. Recognize the plan, recognize that there is a plan, stay with the ship, be thankful, give thanks in all circumstances, give thanks in every circumstance the scripture says, break bread, remember the cross, share that cross with other people and when morning came they didn't recognize the land, the very salvation, they didn't recognize it but it came anyhow. You might not know friends how it's going to happen. But well, I want you to know that it is happening. God is working a miracle in our time and in our lives. Praise God for the Apostle Paul. Praise God for a man that can pray the heart of God. Praise God for men and women that can hear the voice of God. Praise God for men and women that take no account of their own life, friends. But are ready to lay it down. Because that's what a Christian is called to be. And so I would say to you, in this man as he goes on. We know the ship is busting pieces. These sailors are washed up. They're damp. They're wet. They're, they're cold. They're frightened. They're weak. Read the next chapter. Paul is lighting a fire for them. Paul is helping to feed them. Paul is loving them, friends. That's why we're left in the storm. That's why we're left in this world, friends. You are the light of the world. Stay with the ship. Don't jump over. Don't be wishing another place. This is where God would have you shine. It's written for the eternal memory, friends, of the feats of Christian endeavor and kindness and compassion for us to, to read forever what Paul has done. May it be written of you and me that we didn't jump ship when the going got rough, that we didn't cast away our confidence in Christ because we were in storms, friends, but no, we believed that he was going to bring about a mighty salvation. And I believe with all my heart That even in this pandemic, in this epidemic that we're faced, that we're in at the moment, that God is breaking this world onto a beach. God is bringing them to a place of salvation. I believe that there's going to be a massive revelation of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, friends. I believe with all my heart that as we hold on to faith and journey with God and not be just throwing things out of the ship, don't be like the spoiled baby throwing the toys out of the pram just because you can't get into church and because you can't be with your friends. See it that God has left you in the storm to be a light, to be a man or a woman that would pray and reach out and love as he did with Paul and others. And what an example Paul was. Shipwrecked three times, a day and a night in the sea. Can you imagine being a the night in the deep water with sharks around? Can you imagine being beaten 39 times, uh, lashed 39 times and then beaten with rods on two other occasions? Stoned on another occasion, chased all over his life. He's been chased from t- city to city, town to town. And yet here he is, not complaining, not moaning or groaning. He's not even lecturing them when he says you should listen to me. He's just stating a reality. But he said I've got a message of hope. And you know friends. Had Paul just stood up and said. Well you should have listened to me. And shouldn't have taken this journey. And that was it. You know, who wants to hear that friends. Who wants to hear about what you shouldn't have done. But he says this is what you need to do now. You need to strengthen yourself in God. You need to stay with the ship. Because in the morning. You're not going to recognize the land. But it will be your salvation. You know. You might be watching tonight. And some of this might have escaped you. What's you on about? But I don't think it does escape you as everyone is in a storm. You know, there's someone that we know who can calm the storms, his name is Jesus. The same Jesus that the Apostle Paul bowed his knee to, that lit a fire in Paul's heart that he was ready to lay down his life for others and eventually did lay down his life. He was eventually beheaded in Rome. He went there, he eventually got to Rome. Long journey there, but in that place, in that prison cell, he began to get revelation from God and write it down for exhortation today. In the midst of all that, friends, this man had an encounter with Almighty God. That mighty God is Jesus Christ. Changed him forever. That Jesus is the one that calmed the storms, so the word out of his mouth, peace be still, and storms were calmed. He's the very one that can bring calm to you today. He can bring hope to you today. Friends, I was out walking just yesterday. and met some of my neighbors, and just at the distance chatting across the street and they're elderly and they're so fearful fearful to go out fearful to come in full of fear you know I love the words of Jesus when he says fear not fear not lo I'm with you always even to the end of the age Paul had the confidence that God was going to bring about his salvation and I have a great confidence today friends that God knows what he's doing I started talking about Winchester Higgins and the loss of his beautiful Hannah his beautiful bride-to-be. But even in the midst of that, God still knows what he's doing. What a storm that young man is in today, but he loves God. And God will bring him through. God will bring you through. And God will bring us all through. Because he's true and faithful. Stay with the ship. Stay on the word of God. Don't get rid of anything, friends. Don't cast away your confidence, for it shall be richly rewarded. God bless you tonight. and May God keep you. And may you be inspired by the life of the Apostle Paul. Just a small epilogue. Hopefully I did a little bit of justice, I don't know. But you can see from this great man, the self-sacrifice right to the very end, how he held fast his confession. And as a result of that today, you and I are able to hear the word of God. God bless you.